Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're on Team Human, where solidarity beats isolation and autonomy triumphs over the automatic. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, coming to you alive from the Basement Media Squat at the Laboratory for Digital Humanism at CUNY Queens College. Playing for and with and on Team Human today, musician, performer, linguist, and philosopher Tessa Lehman. Music is probably the best expression for me personally because it transcends languages and borders and it talks to somebody on the physical level and on the emotional level. And there's so much honesty in that, if you choose honesty. Tessa will be sharing her new album with us, Tessa Fights Robots, as well as her perspective on what is holding us back from being fully human ourselves. It's time to intervene on behalf of people. This is Team Human. As most of you know by now, Team Human is about solidarity. It's about the idea that human beings alone aren't quite the same thing as human beings together. Humanity is a team sport, so Team Human is about bringing people together so they can find out that their social connections really are the source of our power. But what we haven't really talked about is uh, if we're Team Human, then what's the other team? You know, uh, team capitalism, uh, team machine. In a, in a sense, it is team robot. It's artificial intelligence. It's the perspective of folks like Ray Kurzweil at Google, who believe that when the singularity comes and computers are smarter than human beings, then we should really just pass the evolutionary torch to them, fade into the background, and stick around only insofar as we're needed to keep the machines running, but that if computers and digital technology is smarter and faster and more robust than us and doesn't need food to live, then we should really just surrender reality to them. But it's less 
people versus robots that I'm concerned about. Less, oh, the robots are taking our jobs or the Terminator's coming to uh, end our humanity. Then people becoming robots. It's really people as robots that to me are the bigger threat here. The fact that we humans will decide that we would rather live as robots than live as people. That we would surrender our living spontaneity to the automatic behavior engendered by our digital platforms, by capitalism, by the political landscape. You know, we all have emotional triggers and we know what that feels like when you get triggered and then you behave in that automatic way. It feels very emotional. It feels very impulsive, but it's also entirely predictable. And <laughs> people in your life know when you when you launch into one of those tapes, as we used to call them, oh, you're playing a tape. You've been triggered. But now most of us live the majority of our lives interacting with media and technology and companies and marketing that elicit these automatic responses. That's really the unstated objective of social media and of weaponized memes. So it's not really that human beings need to fight the robots, that it's team robot against team human, so much as humans fighting against the robotic, the urge to go on automatic, the urge to zombify, if you will. And I understand there's a great temptation to do that. You know, you just want to find out or what's the place I'm going to have my coffee? What's the place I can just get a job and stop thinking about stuff? What can I believe in? What kind of music? What kind of clothes? Uh, what are my beliefs? What is my approach? How much do I give to charity? How do I deal with this problem or that? But you don't get to do that if you're a living human. <laughs> you don't. Each moment is a new choice, a new decision point. That's why I've been encouraging people to stay moist, go outside, look at the sky, know what moon phase we're in, awaken the glands, activate the hormones. And getting off the grid, whether it's the grid pattern of Manhattan or the grids of digital technology, is the surest, fastest, easiest way to reconnect with what it means to be human. Just look in another person's eyes and it's immediately grounding you. You connect with something very old and very real. But that's not the only way. You know, if you have enough life force, enough prana, if you will. You can push through rather than opting out. You can jump into the tech with the amplification of your human spirit in mind. It's thinking of technology as if you're a kid jumping into a Gundam suit or one of the Power Rangers, where technology needn't be this anti-human prison, but an exoskeleton, an extension of humanity, our will materialized. So rather than retreat from technology at every opportunity, we can inhabit technology. We can infect technology. We can humanize technology if we bring enough of ourselves to the table. Team human's ultimate secret weapon against team robot is passion. 
And I can't think of anyone more capable of eliciting passion from humans than recording artist Tessa Lena. Anastasia, Anastasia, everybody wants Anastasia. I am the only human being left alive on Earth. Everybody wants. Tessa Lena is a strongly opinionated musician. Living in New York, she's a classically trained pianist and singer. She was born and raised in Moscow. And she's been a frequent collaborator with a King Crimson hero, Ian McDonald, and has made all sorts of music and performance and has truly unique perspectives on what we're going through in America right now. And it's a very great privilege to welcome her to the Basement Media Squad. Little baby, baby Robert. Little baby Anastasia. Baby Robert, come to mama. Come to mama. So you've recorded a bunch of albums by now. Three or four, which we're kind of in the singles market right now, for right. better or for worse. Yeah. So it's but but Tessa fights robots is a is an album. It's it's a, it's a full blown album, yeah. And you're fighting robots. In there. I'm definitely fighting robots, both literal robots and metaphorical robots. More so the latter. The metaphorical robots. So it's less about like some harsh critique of the digital age and the coming of Ray Kurzweil's singularity. <laughs> Killing robots and more what? A robotic frame of mind? Well, you know me so well. (laughs) I'm not a huge fan of singularity, but I think that singularity is just a continuation of what people have been playing with for the past centuries. And robots per se, if they are good robots helping people to be happy, it's not a bad thing. But my metaphorical robots are humans who kind of live as if they're, if they're in the middle of the video game and they don't get in touch with their emotions and they follow procedures and it's impossible to be happy if you're following a procedure. I've started to notice that as our computers and apps and answering machines and you know robot voices all try to emulate humans, I've noticed human beings spending their time and energy emulating robots, you know, multitasking and pushing for efficiency and having their little Google calendar that they fill up with all the things they do. It feels in some ways like we're reversing roles with the robots. I think so. And I think, I mean, I haven't made up my mind on uh, whether it's inertia or whether it's really smart marketing, because robots have been cool in human culture for the past several decades. And who knows whether it's makers of robots who kind of you know, make people feel that the technology that they're selling is really cool, or whether it's natural human fantasy, because people always want to be creative, people want to create worlds. And I think right now we live in a world that people have been creating for the past several thousand years. And perhaps it started with writing as the first technology, or maybe it started with the time when people invented actual time as a something that they can calculate, which again, made difference in how people live and how they perceive nature, how they perceive their own schedule and life and feeling of 
being alive. When people started inventing the world that doesn't quite correlate to nature, it was a big trade-off. Like we gained some and we lost some and the jury is still out on <laughs> what is more, what we lost or what we gained. And the music, the music you make comments on this, both, you know, both lyrically and, and stylistically. So you open this record and it starts out almost as almost a space interpretation of industrial music. For a woman who hates robots, or is on the anti-robot side, now all of a sudden we're deep in transistor land or something. I you know? know. Well, I mean, like, there's a bit of humor in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also technologically much easier to do that than to record a symphony orchestra in this day and age. Right. But I think that also, I mean, I'm not in denial of technology at all. I think technology is a wonderful thing. But we live in the real world, and usually there are players who have some kind of an agenda. They want to sell something, and that always gets twisted. So as a result, we have a business mentality and a business model that is based on hooking people on products as if it's you know a drug. So we kind of live in a society of drug addicts, whether it's real drugs, whether it's bad food or chemicals or technology or Facebook that, you know, guilty, guilty. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but the people designing the apps on your iPhones are not thinking purely in terms of how can I extend this person's humanity? They're thinking... How are we going to make this sticky enough and compulsive enough that they use it all the time, share it with all their friends, and we become billionaires? I think one of the fundamental things is responsibility, and I'm kind of big on this. Responsibility as a business person, as a musician, as an artist, as a baker, whatever you do. Because I think that if you keep other people's well-being or nature's well-being as something that important, something to mind as you're doing your everyday tasks, as you are designing your product, your app, writing your music, mixing your audio, whatever you're doing, then we are fine because we are going to make a couple of mistakes, but, you know, we'll figure it out. But when that component gets lost, which I think is kind of lost, more or less, in society, then we're in trouble because then if I want to build a big factory that poisons you know, two million people, and it's got to bring me a lot of money, I'm not going to think about those people. I'm going to think about my, you know, two million dollars or two billion dollars. And if I'm an artist and I'm designing music with the idea that it's going to be viral, meaning like act, act like an actual virus, yeah. get inside the person's system and maybe destroy that person, but bring me money. <laughs> anyway, it's the same psychology. So if we're responsible then we have hope. If we're not responsible, then we have a problem. Well, a hook in music is like a little mimetic construct, and mm-hmm. it gets in there, not in a bad way. It could be a beautiful hook, and you're, it's contagious then. I mean, and that's not, that's not bad at all. In that sense, no. But what I mean is that if you design a tune that by repetition actually kind of destroys your well-being. Like, you know, for example, you enter a club and it's extremely loud and you lose yourself in that, Mm. not in a good way. You just want to drink because you're frustrated. You're frustrated for some reason. You don't understand why something feels off. It's like your conscience is not in the right space, right? right? But you have to drink, you have to distract, you bring profit. 
And that's how a lot of our pop culture functions, unfortunately. And I'm not even being overly judgmental. I think most people don't even realize that that's what's happening. But I try to fix that with, you know, with my music and with my pontifications. They're training you to act like viruses. You can no longer enjoy anything without feeling the anxiety to immediately share, 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 to be relevant, to exist. You share, 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 and make a ton of... The first tune on, 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 on Tessa Fights Robots is this industrial, orchestral, huge thing, and the human being is... She's what? Confused, lost, and hopeful. In the end, she's fighting for her very for for her agency, though she's fighting mm-hmm. for her autonomy. Exactly. Yeah, I mean that that's how I feel about it. Well, the first song addresses the actual, you know, big data issue yeah. where we're all little soldiers on Facebook or Twitter or any social network, and we're not really human beings in that framework. We're hosts of our attention, well, our money. If you know, we deal with ads and our fundamental energy and love. And essentially, I think that in a way, those networks, whatever their intention is, which I can't say because I'm not them, they are reselling people's love, you know, because they don't write content, quote unquote, on Facebook. You and I do, I don't know about you. I mean, like I do a lot of it, unfortunately, (laughs) but then that's my energy and it's getting distributed to other people who do their own thing. So there's, no value per se created by the platform. It's just redistributing people's love and then for, you know, eyeballs and advertising. And I'm sure there's a better way to do it. I'm sure there's a way to connect people without being predatory. But right now, maybe we're in the trying phase of it. Maybe we're just still figuring it out. But there's a predatory element. And yes, that person in that song is fighting for her agency because that's the feeling. trick is now for a lot of creative people they look at what's happening in the world they'll say oh look there's the climate change going on and industrialization or here in america there's trump 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 and if you're having fun being creative and expressing your humanity and <laughs> laughing <Yes>. then <laughs> then are we allowed to do that now that or do, is it all hands on deck we have to fight the fascist and get to be serious i think see i've lived in many different places well not many several and in several cultures and my right, you were weapon. raised in Russia. Yeah, I was raised in the Soviet Union. Scary, scary. Yeah. Sc- be careful now. Be careful. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm mixing with the Russians. I'm a spy. That's good. That's fine. So, after having lived in different places, my weapon against being sad or overly stressed over politics is complete and utter cynicism. In a good way, like a healthy kind. Because I think that the difference between 
people living in different countries or even people belonging to different political camps, like in this country or in any other country for that matter, the difference is significantly less meaningless than the difference between those who generally want to respect other people's freedoms and personal space and choices to be whatever they want, as long as it's not horribly dangerous, and those who don't. And I think that people in politics, they can figure it out between themselves because you can't really climb to the very top of that mountain without sacrificing part of your soul. And my assumption, my cynical assumption, is they all do. And then (laughs) we're a little ants, you know, in terms of big politics, it doesn't really matter. I mean, you can be an NBA star, can be a beggar, but it doesn't really matter. You're not on that level. So there's so much space for everybody else to be happy and to create. But, I mean, for us, we can get freedom starting from the inside. I mean, here we are in a nice, clean room. I'm talking with the brilliant, beautiful rock star. Thank you. And you're getting to talk to the guy with some reasonable intelligence. I mean, it's a fun thing, right? You're very kind. (laughs) So we're having fun. But, you know, there's right now, there's how many tens or hundreds of thousands of Syrian refugees in a uh, in camps or not even able to get to camps and we're not you know it's hard especially the more aware we are the more connected we are it's hard to let go and experience that joy from the inside when you know that's going on i mean isn't isn't helping them a prerequisite to our personal satisfaction? Is it okay for us to be sitting here talking about art and making beautiful music when that's happening? I don't think there is an intellectual answer to that. You know, I'm going to give you an anecdote instead. I'm trying to weasel my way out and then come come, come back to it in a different way. You know, sometimes astronauts say that when they're out in space and they look at the planet, our beautiful tiny little blue planet from the outside, they suddenly get it. They got the feeling that we really are one. It's not an intellectual construct. It's not something that you know self-help gurus say just for blah, blah, blah. It's the actual physical reality. When you're in the place of that feeling, it makes sense. But it, you can't necessarily explain it. But I think that when you get that feeling, then you know what to do. And not one human being can fix the entire world, meaning it's... It requires Hubris to think that it's impossible. We are a family, you know, each of us needs to do something, each of us needs to take responsibility. And usually it's much harder to take your own responsibility than to point fingers and say, oh, this guy's bad, or, you know, this woman is good or bad. And that's where the solution lies. So I used to always be very, very frustrated about every problem in the world I know because, I mean, I care and I want to help and I want to save. But then all that happens is that I'm also unhappy and kind of paralyzed in this state where I want to do this and I want to do that and I can't and obviously I can't change the entire politics. Like I can't make bad guys all of a sudden act with you know undying love towards everybody. So if I do my thing, if I create music honestly, if I treat people around me, you know, the way that my consciousness is not yelling at me, that you know, like everything is right then I'm doing my job, because we're a piece of a puzzle, I believe. Like a big, beautiful puzzle we don't even understand. Your tenderness is gone 
guess the idea would be if you're making music from that place mm-hmm. then it will be it will be intrinsically ethical intrinsically spiritual intrinsically connecting and if it's you know if it's uh, testifies robots then maybe the developer at Facebook is listening to that music driving to work maybe it then changes the way they think about oh my gosh how is this platform actually affecting young people who are going to be voting how is this platform uh, affecting global relations is it dividing people is it connecting people so then your your work then somehow trickles out into a collective consciousness and into other human action and it does uh, change the playing field. That is my hope. I'm not holding my breath necessarily that my music is going to change the way Facebook operates. But if it happens, I will be very pleasantly surprised. I think that sometimes the impact is unpredictable. Meaning, you know, something happens, then 10 years later, all of a sudden you realize that it led to something. So those things are amazing and mysterious and we can't really understand them. So I do hope that by being honest with my art and with what I say in general, I do make a difference. Because, I mean, there's a lot of different, obviously, a lot of different kinds of people on Team Human these days. You know, and some of them are, which is great, are working activists. They're in the war zones or, you know, or or in the poverty zone. They're, they're making a difference. Others are artists or intellectuals or community organizers or bakers and tailors and uh, uh, water delivery guys. And, you know, we get emails from all, all sorts of people. Uh, I guess you're, you're suggesting that, that, you know, each of us by being kind of, a, you know, mindful and open and human in whatever it is we're doing, it's kind of contributes to this, uh, it's beneficial to that fractal of human, uh, of human life or all life. I believe so. And I think that everybody has a special talent. Pretty much what you said, I completely agree with in this case. Sometimes I feel like humanity is this big tree, you know, and then there are these like kind of sick parts of it where there's war zones and stuff going, bad stuff. And then there are these other parts of the tree where the leaves are just like green and full and healthy. So I'll put on your record or get to talk with you and I'll go, oh my gosh, look at this leaf is, is alive. And Very the sun, leafy the, record. The chlorophyll is moving. You know, it's a, uh-huh. it's a, and it's not like, oh, look at that leaf's too happy. We better take some, take some juice out of that one and stick it in those ones over there. You know, the healthy part of the tree is still allowed to be healthy. It's still allowed to rejoice in the beauty and the sun and its life and its respiration. Oh, absolutely. And I think that when more people come to that state, there's going to be less active evil in the world, meaning less evil that is actually allowed to be evil and create problems for others. 
because well, part of the trick is if people are happy from the inside, you can't really manipulate them very well. So I think that when people attend to their internal mystery that nobody besides them knows really, that's where the magic happens. But it's it's a long process. I'm not thinking that it's going to happen, you know, in the next five years. But I think it's important to do things today for each of us because, you know what, if it helps people, if, you know, I say something or, you know, write a song and then somebody tells me that it elevated their spirit, it made them feel better. That's the biggest joy, better than any money, anything. But it's also being happy is a weapon in itself or is resistance. You know, it's what uh, the Situationists did. It's what Abby Hoffman did, you know, pranking by making a circle around the Pentagon to levitate it. It's what the, the yes men do. It's what anybody or when people are singing, when the cops come into the church and everybody sings, what is that? It's finding the joy in their solidarity at that moment. You know, so in, in some ways to be able to let go of of a certain kind of angst and rejoice is, uh, it's powerful, you know, it's powerful social change. Oh, absolutely. And I think, well, it's also tricky because one cannot get to that place of joy by just, you know, deciding that, okay, you know what, I'm going to get to this place of joy. It doesn't work this way. The good I know, yeah. And I certainly see it, you know, in Silicon Valley, I find these, you know, multimillionaires who say, you know, they're doing something horrible with their job and they know it's horrible, but then they say, oh, but I've built a little Buddhist sanctuary for myself and I have organic, you know, uh, almonds <laughs> growing in my garden. And, you know, and I send my kid to Rudolf Steiner school and I, we're, we're happy. But they're not. They're, they're in a bunker. They're in a, a fake happiness fort. Both literally and metaphorically, because they're building bunkers, right? Yeah. As they're telling you, although I mean, like, that's my favorite joke, because as they deliver happy keynote speeches about the beautiful things that their technology is going to bring to all of us and solve all problems, they're building bunkers in case people <laughs> want to kill them out of misery and lack of jobs. So that is kind of hilarious. Yeah, they're buying land for the global apocalypse up in Alaska, New Zealand. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think when people decide to play God, it never ends really, really well, because history has proven that we're not really capable of designing the world for everybody. No. <laughs> we don't have enough knowledge, information, and so... <laughs> I know. I remember Stuart Brand, uh, he was the, one of the merry pranksters and started Global Business Network. He said, uh, uh, you know, we're... we're uh, you know, basically, we're as powerful as gods now because of digital technology. We better start acting like them. And that might be the wrong approach. You know, it's like if we're as powerful as gods, we better get humble really fast. I think getting really humble really <laughs> fast is about the only thing that can salvage us at this point. Or it might be a catastrophe that, I mean, hopefully, hopefully I'm wrong about that. But I think catastrophes bring humility pretty fast to people. And the way we're acting with the nat with nature, with the environment, and with fellow human beings, and with animals. You know, I'm a bit worried. Yeah. I'm researching for a book. I'm researching the, the cosmists. Did you ever hear of the cosmists from Russia? Ah, I, a little bit, yes. This sort of new age movement that came out of Russian orthodoxy, where about, you know, this it, it just seemed... It, this idea of Russian cosmism came to America through the track two diplomacy meetings they did out at Esalen. It was back in the 70s and 80s, but this idea of transcending the body is the way, 
you know that that technology and 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 uh, and drugs and everything will get us out of the body. That the as if the body is the problem. That being human is the problem. That we've got to transcend our mortal coil in order to experience real truth. That we basically resurrect while we're alive. I want to know you as a computer. Forget the biblical sense. I want my perfect device to read your heart rate. I want my perfect device to know your brain waves. New intimacy on display. New connections, all digitized. New sky in perfect 3D. And yes, for $3.99, you can edit the color. And for additional 10, you can move the ad to the right. Do you like it? Well, I believe that it comes from spiritual blindness and anxiety. And going back to my point about creativity, I think personally that those ideas are, well, silly. I mean, they're just silly. But the emotion that drives them is valid because a person who comes up with that, and I don't care whether it's a person of status or somebody in their basement, but there has to be a certain vacuum, a certain happiness that makes the person to run away. And that has to be solved. Until that is solved, we're going to come up with all sorts of ridiculous ideas. Unfortunately, there's lots of people who are gullible, coming back to my robots, because if many people have that anxiety and that void that we're trying to fill with something and iPhones can't quite fill it. People are desperately searching for answers. So our fantasies about alien life are kind of in place of religion of the past where people don't want to feel mortal. They want to know that there's some kind of meaning beyond just this body. And because they don't really know, they invent things. I think that's what's happening. Do you think there is meaning beyond this body? Do you Absolutely. think so- something happens when we die? Absolutely. I believe so. Do you know what? Or do you th- have a suspicion? Uh, I have a suspicion. You know. <laughs> <laughs> is there some valid way to prepare? I think a really valid way to, way to prepare is to not listen to what anybody tells you about that. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm actually only half joking. Yeah. Because I think that slogans and hashtags and memes used without responsibility. I think it actually locks people in a certain state in which we are allowed to seek happiness, but we're not really allowed to be happy, if it makes sense. Does it make sense what I'm saying? Mm. Like I can design a conference about happiness and make it all proper and intellectual and you know sell tickets for $999 only. And, and that's socially acceptable, but if if I walk in the street smiling from ear to ear, singing a song, crazy. this woman is crazy. <laughs> but that's actually what you know, like what I would do, actually being happy. So I think there's a flaw with that. And I don't know how it showed up, but it's there. Well, in some way, it's funny, this uh, Dutch philosopher, Huizinga, talked about it. He wrote a book called Homo Ludens, Man uh-huh. the Player. And he said for people to play, to really play, they almost need to draw a sacred circle and then step inside it, that they need some sense of boundary to let go. 
You know, and that's why, you know, in the end, that's why the music's so powerful. Because you, you put in the CD or you put on the music and it creates a container for the listener to, to let go, you know, to, to get whatever soundtrack was in their head out. And it's a launching pad to something else. Oh, absolutely. I think, well, music is miraculous. I mean, truly, it's without like any metaphor. Yeah. It, well, it, it impacts your body, it impa- impacts your mind, it impacts your soul. And it's ultimately, I mean, they say that everything is a vibration, meaning like cells vibrate, water inside your body vibrates, and everybody has a unique frequency even, although we can't hear it with ears. But music is also frequency, and I think it interacts with us on many, many levels. Do you have a, uh, do you have a practice of some kind? Do you do something in order to maintain your humanity and balance and sense of autonomy, you know, sit and meditate or do... Only 999. (laughs) You can't sell it, Avi. No, but is there... I mean, I guess half the people are listening... Half the... Well, not half. I bet there's a quarter of the people are listening thinking, this girl's interesting, but she's friggin' crazy. But the other three quarters are listening saying, how do I... Uh, how do I find the 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 balance, or how do I uh, bring the centering into my daily experience, so that I can, you know, start to walk down that walk down that path? How can I experience the world the way she's experiencing it? Well, it's it's a very deep topic, and of course, I was only kidding about the nine nine today. I mean, like I do many things. Well, you can buy the record, right? Yeah, I can buy the record. <laughs> If you listen to the record, you know, your hair is going to grow better. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously, though, I think that one of the key things one can start with is listening to one's emotions, like genuinely. And it doesn't mean being entitled, meaning it doesn't mean like, oh, I want this candy, so you have to give it to me. Like, I don't mean that. But I think one of the big problems of our Western European and, you know, branching into America civilization is that we've been taught that emotions are kind of not so serious women's play and they are to be ignored or tamed or distorted. And it's not an easy process. It's not that something's going to happen overnight. But if you start to really pay attention to your internal feeling and do, or at least try to do where it guides you, I think you're going to be much freer and much happier. Maybe, again, it might take five years, 10 years, 25 years, but in the end, if you look back in 25 years, you started doing something and now you're happy, it matters. be hopeful I think well I mean I had many trials and tribulations like honestly in all serious seriousness once I came here and immigration wasn't easy at all but I actually love the fact that it all happened right now because you know I've I've worked in the office I know the prison feeling of that and I've done 
money, money things. And I found that music is probably the best expression for me personally because, well, it transcends languages and borders and it talks to somebody on the physical level and on the emotional level. And there's so much honesty in that if you choose honesty. I'm, I, I think honestly that artists are the happiest person in our culture because most people have to lie in this way or another. It's inevitable. And artists get a pass sometimes. But you don't just get to do it. You are a classically trained professional <laughs> pianist. You were a, 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 a modern experimental vocalist. I mean, this is not, you don't just get up someday and go, oh, I'm going to be a musician now. Uh, I mean, for yeah. the people who are listening, you, you, there's rigor in your approach. Oh, absolutely. Well, I was born to do that. I mean, I actually tried to reject it <laughs> when I came to the States. And, you know, like, honestly, all of my life I was considered a bit, you know, we weird is not the right word. I mean, like, I was always getting the best grades, like top of my class. I was all proper. But, you know, the artistic side, I felt a bit misunderstood, probably, when I was a kid and, you know, I was a teenager. And then when I came here, I was so excited just to be like everybody else already for once just you know just to get an office job and to be finally blend in i so wanted that it didn't work no it, it kicked me out <laughs> like do music and i'm glad it did i'm very very happy and thank you again for your kind words yes classical piano from from the time i was five it was work. It was, but it creates, a, I mean, it's a necessary scaffold to then be able to do what you're doing now. Definitely. Though, I mean, like, I think like a pianist, definitely. And then, but I have a grudge. Because, you know, when I was taught, and that might be a bit nerdy, I am going into the territory of nerdy. But, you know, when I was taught, it was all equal temperament, traditional tuning, the modern tuning that they mm -hmm. use for piano. And I've always felt that there was something missing. I loved the music. I loved, you know, Bach is one of my favorite composers. I adore Bach. But there was something missing. And then I was already an adult. And I heard that same music in traditional historic tunings. And it was so much better. I was so much freer. And I was so mad. I was like, why did you teach me all that proper, you know, way of listening to music while it was a bit fake? Yeah. Not completely, but a bit fake. I know. So, it's No, it's real. There's a great book on, on temperament. I don't know if you've read it about when they, when they change uh -huh. to equal temperament. But if you play an instrument that's an equal temperament, you can hear the phase between uh -huh. the notes. As opposed to tuning your instrument to the key that you're going to be in, you can get these, these, a very different kind of harmony. Oh, absolutely. Mm. And going back to our favorite topic, technology and convenience and the price we have to pay, that was one of those things where convenience, you know, equal temperament, obviously, then everything is uniform, everything is standardized, and it's easier to deal with it. But then you pay the price. It takes a little bit from your soul or from your listening experience. So we make a choice every time. We have to evaluate what's worth more for us. Well, I promise you this. The Team Human podcast will never be equal temperament. I <laughs> love you! <laughs> I love you too. Thank you so much for being on Team Human. Thank you. It is such an honor. And everybody, go where to get the music most easily and that benefits you the most? If you go to tessamakeslove.com, one word, Tessa, T-E-S-S-A, 
uh, makeslove.com. Everything is there. Great. And listen to it that way, rather than don't try to go to Spotify or Pandora. You will not find her there <laughs> in those on, streams yeah. of evil. <laughs> I'm on Tidal, but, and I'm on Apple Music, but I'm by Connie Spotify. And there's a great blog post on uh, on Tessa Makes Love about, about why. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure and such an honor. And for all of us. And before we go, I want to make a special shout out to uh, Ryan from Salem, Massachusetts, who made a, a truly spectacular contribution, uh, cash contribution, that is, to, uh, to Team Human this month. And it came at just the right time and uh, convinced us that uh, there are people out there who, who appreciate what we're doing and can help us pay for it. There's actually things we have to buy and do and bandwidth and equipment and stuff. So it really does help. Um, so those of you who can, go to teamhuman.fm and support this effort. We greatly appreciate it. We're also being broadcast on a growing network of public and community radio stations. So if you have a favorite, please let them know about the show and the fact that they can have this fine non-commercial content absolutely free. The show is produced and edited by Stephen Bartolome. I'm Douglas Rushkoff. We'll be back next week, coming to you live from the Basement Laboratory for Digital Humanism at Queens College with new ways to fight the robots. The world in a nutshell. There's a bunch of metaphorical walking dead who figured out a way to siphon your creative energy and turn it into money for them. They're stealing your freedom and turning it into money for them. And you, you invite them to your conferences and you quote their books. They're stealing your freedom and they're turning you into robots. And yet, you keep hoping that they will somehow elevate you. They're training you to act like viruses. You can no longer enjoy anything without feeling the anxiety to immediately share, 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 to be relevant, to exist. You share, 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 and make a ton of advertising money for them. You know that you're doing that, right? You have nothing of your own. You have nothing. You give nothing to yourself. Your soul is theirs. It's all public. Your soul is data to them. Dry and loveless. There's nothing sacred to them. They have figured out a way to turn your love into money for them. There's nothing sacred to them. But you know, you know of course that you're sacred, right? Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. 
Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.